Good morning. Let's pray. Our gracious Redeemer, Savior, and Lord, you were lifted up on a cross and now have ascended to the highest heaven. You were a man of sorrows who was crowned with thorns, and now as the Lord of life, you are crowned with glory. You suffered the deepest shame, the height of agony, and the cruelest death. Yet now there is none that is exalted higher. No life is more glorious, no advocate more effective. You have triumphed over all your enemies. What more could be done than what you have accomplished? Your death is our life. Your resurrection is our peace. Your ascension is our hope. And your intercession is our comfort. Risen Christ in the midst of this broken world of sickness, grief, fear, and despair, where all seems to be lost, you stood among your disciples in the fullness of your glorious resurrection from the dead, and you proclaimed your peace, a peace that reorders and renews all things. May that same peace find a home in us, so that we may bear your hope, and as members of your body, enable that peace to be proclaimed to others. Your wisdom as Creator is only exceeded by your wisdom as our Redeemer. Only you could find the way to manifest both your hatred of sin and your love for the sinner, consuming the sin and recovering the lost. The Gospel is called the manifold wisdom of God. Only you could have seen that we could be healed by stripes, made alive by death, crowned by a cross, exalted by humility, comforted by sorrows, glorified by disgrace, absolved by condemnation, and made rich by poverty. How wonderful is your wisdom! For who could have devised a plan whereby the seed of a woman, born of a virgin, delivered in a stable, spending his days in misery, affliction, and poverty, without any pomp or splendor, and suffering a horrible and disgraceful death, should pull down the gates of hell, subvert the kingdom of the devil, and subdue all of his enemies. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be patient and trusting of your wisdom. Help us to be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, may we bring our request before you, that your peace may surpass our understanding and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We praise you, the one who sees the beginning from the end. We pray today for our leaders, national, state, and local. Work in them to make them aware of their need of you. May they seek your face. Grant our nation repentance. We live in a world full of death. May the, sovereign, may the, so, may the Savior reign. We are grateful to know that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. No matter what's in the news, no threat shall overcome us. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Help us now, we pray, as we consider your holy word. Give us ears to hear, eager minds to learn, and joyful hearts to serve. Feed us, nourish us, and transform us now by the power of your word and spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text today is from Obadiah. We'll be reading verses 17 through 21. Hear now 
God's Word. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall possess Philistia. They shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, Benjamin, shall possess Gilead. And the captives of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites, as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem, who are in Sheprad, shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And thus far the reading of God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. As many of you know, those from our congregation certainly know, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ every single Sunday. Nevertheless, we, like churches throughout the world, traditionally also recognize Easter as a very special day of celebration for the resurrection of our Lord. For Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, it is normally our largest feast day of the year. We spend the whole day together celebrating this event. And while we are sad to miss that this year and disappointed because of COVID-19, this has required us to put that feast off for another day. We'll still have it. Perhaps we'll call it a family reunion whenever the Lord permits. In the meantime, we are going to remember that He is the Lord every single day and in every circumstance, including this one, and we will rest in Him. So this today will be our eighth and final sermon from the book of Obadiah. Jesus taught us that man lives not by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we have been feasting on the words of the prophet Obadiah. We have seen that the Bible is a book full of stories, and that all of those stories point to the master story of Jesus Christ. All the little stories are part of the big story. And they follow a similar pattern. Things start out relatively good, something bad happens, then God intervenes, and in the end, things are better than they were in the beginning. Last week, we were reminded that all of the prophets spoke about Christ. Luke told us in Luke 24, 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I, went, and I went on to call our attention back to another passage, and I want to do so again today from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. Of this salvation the prophets, again that includes Obadiah, have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to to you 
uh, those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we are specifically told that the Spirit of Christ was in the Old Testament prophets and that they knew at some level that they were speaking about the sufferings of Christ, which included the crucifixion, as well as the glories that would follow, which includes, of course, the greatest glory of all, the resurrection. And so while this is a great mystery, nevertheless, it is a mystery that is consistent with other things the Scriptures tell us. For example, we're told in 2 Peter 1.21, prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So we know Obadiah was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was speaking on behalf of God. And so also when Jesus said to the Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad, we know that in in a mysterious way, in some way, we know now because God's revealed it to be so that Abraham himself specifically saw Christ and Christ's day. We would, of course, add to this, uh, we could add to this, but for now, we'll, we'll, let, we'll stop right there. So we've seen in the Old Testament uh, that we first had the story of the twins, Jacob and Esau. So we read in Genesis, now Isaac, uh, in Genesis chapter 25, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be, one, one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So we have this prophecy given to Rebekah about Jacob and Esau and how they would each, uh, their descendants would become nations. And so this story unfolds into this story that we find in Obadiah, the descendants of Judah and Edom. When in the New Test- then in the New Testament, of course, we have the master story of Jesus, who is a descendant of Judah, and Herod, who is a descendant of the Edomites. So the Holy Spirit is weaving this story, this whole thing together, which is a powerful testimony of the divinity of Jesus and the divine authorship of the entire Bible. Now, Obadiah is not directly quoted in the New Testament, but he is cited indirectly. What we see is that Joel, the prophet Joel, the book of Joel, uses Obadiah, and then Peter quotes that portion of Joel on the day of Pentecost, which will help us to better understand the book of Obadiah. Likewise, Obadiah uses Amos, and James cites that portion of Amos in Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, which will help us also better understand Obadiah. When we combine all of these details, we come to see that the ultimate fulfillment of Obadiah's prophecy is accomplished in the resurrection of Jesus and the international spread of the gospel. So on the front side of this sermon, right now, 
I'm going to ask you to pay special attention and follow the argument so that we can arrive at the proper interpretation of this portion of God's Word and its glorious conclusions. So let's first talk about Obadiah and Joel. Obadiah 17, the very first part of that verse, says, But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. It appears that Joel chapter 2 actually quotes that phrase from Obadiah. And so I want to read from Joel chapter 2, starting in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my manservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. So Joel says that this deliverance is associated with God's coming intervention in a time at a time in which the whole world will be changed. God's Spirit will be poured out in a special way. Miracles will be performed. The political powers will be overturned. That's the reference to the moon uh, turning to darkness, or the sun turning to darkness and the moon to blood. And all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved, including the Gentiles. In Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, the center of salvation, there will be deliverance. So this is the very section of Joel that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost to explain the disciples speaking in other languages. The day of Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Peter is saying that with the death and resurrection of Jesus, the world has dramatically changed. The old world is ending. It's in its last days. The new world is beginning. The Savior has been exalted to the throne, to Zion, to, the, to Jerusalem. The Spirit has been poured out on God's people. As they preach the gospel in other languages, it is now the gospel is expanding to all nations, not just Israel. Now it's breaking out of the borders. It's going to the four corners of the earth. All who call on the name of the Lord will be delivered and saved. Acts 2.36, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ, Messiah, Savior. This is all of a fulfillment of Obadiah, as quoted in a section of Joel, which Peter in turn quotes on the day of Pentecost. Obadiah's prophecy applied to Judah in his day, but it also pointed to an even greater fulfillment. The Holy Spirit, remember, is the ultimate author, so the Holy Spirit knows about the circumstances in Judah and Edom, but he also knows he's God. He knows of Pentecost. He knows of what's coming with the resurrection of Jesus. 
And so he's speaking about both. And so he, he, it's, it, there's a, this greater fulfillment, the big story, if you will. And this is when all the people from, or when people from all nations respond to the gospel by calling on the name of the Lord. So that's Obadiah, Joel, and Peter. Now let's look at Obadiah and Amos. Another aspect of the fulfillment of Obadiah's prophecy is seen in, in what the New Testament has to say about the conquest and the possession uh, that Obadiah speaks of. So two centuries earlier, Amos prophesied this. Amos chapter 9, verse 11 through 12. On that day I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages, and I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. So Obadiah spoke about how God's people would subdue Edom and possess and judge the mountains of Esau. They would take over. They would rule over Edom. And in Acts 15, at the first council of Jerusalem, there was a discussion regarding how Gentile believers should be viewed. So Peter pointed to God's work in Cornelius, and uh, Paul and Barnabas spoke of God's work in the Gentiles through them, and then James rose to address that assembly. And here's what he said. Men and brethren, listen to me. Simon has declared how God at the first, had first visited the Gentiles to take, take out of them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, I will rebuild its ruins, and I will set it up so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does these things. Known to God from eternity are all his works. Therefore I judge that we should not trouble those among the Gentiles who are turning to God, but that we write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from things strangled and from blood. For Moses has had throughout many generations those who preached him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. So in brief, James is arguing that because of the work of Christ, Amos' prophecy is being fulfilled in the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so remember, the New Testament is an inspired commentary on the Old Testament. It, 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 we're going to read backwards after we read the New Testament. We go back and we read those passages and we see the deeper and greater meaning. The takeover of the world by the true Israel is moving forward as the, Lord, as the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, spread the gospel and disciple the nations by the gospel that is preached through the power of the Spirit. Remember, according to Peter, Joel, Amos, and Obadiah have the Spirit of Christ in them, and they prophesied about what? About the grace, the gospel, that would come to you. And they searched what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand 
the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but but rather uh, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you through the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So they're talking about the, the sufferings of Jesus, again, including the crucifixion, but also the glories that would follow. So here we are at the resurrection. So when we look for New Testament help in understanding Obadiah, we find that it comes to us indirectly, but very powerfully. Through James's use of part of Amos, which Obadiah filled out and built upon, and while Obadiah is not quoted by name in the New Testament, nevertheless, his use of Amos and James' use of Amos amount to the same thing. The clear, the clear conclusion is that the conquest and the possession which Obadiah prophesied about is now clearly seen, but in a more glorified way in the age of the Spirit, when people from all nations respond to the gospel by calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Obadiah is fulfilled in the takeover of the world by the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, which was which the conversion of the Gentiles represents. When we put Joel, Amos, uh, and Acts together, we have to conclude that the decisive intervention of God, which Obadiah had predicted, an intervention in both judgment and salvation, is it's confirmed through through the events that are recorded in the book of Acts. In the establishment of a new world order, the kingdom of God, the gospel era, the age of the Spirit, all through the completed work of Jesus Christ. The deliverance which Obadiah prophesied is the salvation and renewal which is, founded, which is found by men, women, and children from every nation believing in and calling upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The takeover of the world by Israel, which Obadiah predicted, is the spread of the kingdom through the Gentile mission as the Lord Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth, disciples the nations and saves the world. He is enthroned at the right hand of God, and He's been promised all the nations as His inheritance, and the ends of the earth as His inheritance, as His possession. And as He is subduing all things to Himself through the Spirit-empowered announcement of the Gospel, He is waiting to see all His enemies subdued, and when this has fully happened, He will return in glory to usher in the new heavens, and the new earth. And so Obadiah, rightly understood through Joel, Amos, and Acts, is about gospel deliverance and gospel takeover. It's about the advance of the kingdom of God and the building of the church and the progress of world mission right now. That's when it happens, ever since the resurrection and the day of Pentecost. It's true that the straggling, defeated, humiliated, exiled movement at the time of Obadiah was delivered. But but then it was historically enacted in the life of Christ when He was on the cross. 
But we must not get stuck there. So, no, so and again, yes, God's people were taken into exile. They were in this bad place. They were abused. They were rejected by Edom and mistreated by their brothers. But that, that's true of Christ, right? That's part of the story. But now the second part of Obadiah is the other part of the story of Christ. It's true that it's being realized incrementally, but the resurrection and enthronement of Jesus is clearly laid out here in verses 17 through 21 of Obadiah. Where is this happening? Not just in greater Palestine, not just in the Middle East, but all over the world. Right now, today, as the gospel is preached, Obadiah 17 through 21 is being fulfilled. Israel's hope has expanded. The world now belongs to Israel and the church is Israel. The Abrahamic covenant is being fulfilled through the gospel and that means that every family on the earth is being blessed through his seed, who is Christ. Of course, the glory of a prince lies in the magnitude of his subjects and since our Lord Jesus Christ is the most glorious prince of all, he, his is the outstanding everlasting and international kingdom. It transcends history. It transcends borders and nations and races. And it transcends time because it is eternal. What does it look like? Praise God. You can see it right there in Obadiah. Rescued and renewed human beings. Righteous rule. Brotherly love and humility. Spirit-empowered leadership, and all amounting uh, uh, to the thing that is what we want above all else, and that is the kingdom shall be the Lord's. When we read the Old Testament after having come to understand that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ, it's kind of like reading a novel for the second time, or seeing a movie for the second time. You begin to notice all sorts of things and events, characters and speeches in the earlier parts of the book or the movie in the light of what has been revealed in the later parts. This reminds me of two verses that describe the disciples' understanding after the resurrection of Jesus. Keep in mind, the disciples had read the Old Testament They'd certainly been with Jesus. They'd heard him speak many times. But now, after the resurrection, the light comes on. They begin to see in a way they have not seen before. In John chapter 2, verses 21 and 22, But he, Jesus, was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the Scripture and the word which Jesus had said. And then in John 12:16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Well, we live way after the resurrection. And we have the advantage of having the whole Bible, the Old and the New Testament. 
All these things God has preserved for his people through the ages. We have a much bigger and better perspective on the master story. And so as we celebrate Easter, we celebrate the fulfillment of all of God's stories, the little ones and the master story. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Let's pray. O Lord, Israel rejoiced when Egypt died upon the shore. We have a far greater joy because our Redeemer's foe lays crushed in the dust. Lord Jesus, you stride forth as the victor, conqueror of death, hell, and all opposition. You broke the bands of death, trampled the powers of darkness down, and you live forever. You are our gracious surety who paid our debt. You came forth from the prison house of the grave, free and triumphant over sin, Satan, and death. Where is the proof that his vicarious offering was accepted, that the claims of justice were satisfied, that Satan's head has been crushed? He lives. He lives. We have our assurance that in Christ we too died. In him we also live. In his victory we triumph. In his ascension we shall be glorified. Bless now, Lord, our Easter celebration as you have lavished us with your favor in Christ. We pray in the risen Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. We are very thankful today to gather with God's people from all over the world to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our tradition at Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church is for Easter Sunday to be our big feast day. We celebrate all day long. We have a, a catered feast. We have everyone bring their most lovely desserts. And we spend the entire day together. In fact, we usually enjoy a second meal together. But part of our tradition for the last several years has been to begin our feast by pouring a bottle of wine while the 23rd Psalm is read. And we would like to continue that tradition today. Even though we are separated physically, we are still united in, in our hearts with one another. And we invite you to join us as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down green pastures. He leads me beside the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. Yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed.